the, the, the question that I was asked that I received for this week was, what does it mean to number our days aright? The Bible tells us to number our days, that we might get a heart of wisdom. That's from Psalm 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we might get a heart of wisdom. And the question that I was asked was, how, how can we number our days when we don't know how many we'll get? What does it mean to number our days? We don't know the future. We don't know how many we have. So how can we number them? It's easy to know how many days we've already spent, right? Uh, 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 I, as of today, have lived 17,895 days. This is my 17,895th day on earth today. That's easy math. You can Google it, enter your birthday, and it'll tell you that. But how many more days do I have? You can't Google that, right? I don't know how many more days I have. And if I don't know how many days I have, then how, what does it mean for me to number my days that I might get a heart of wisdom? I think it's safe to say we all want a heart of wisdom. Who wouldn't want that? Numbering our days will give us a heart of wisdom, And so this morning, with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the help of Psalm 90, we're going to figure out how exactly to do that. Now, my only hesitation this morning with preaching on Psalm 90 is that I have preached on this psalm before here. Uh, So I almost didn't do it, but there are three factors that caused me to decide to preach on this psalm again first factor is that last time I preached on this psalm, it was a New Year's Day service, and most of you weren't here. (laughs) Secondly, the last time I preached on Psalm 90 was five years ago, and so even those of you who were here don't remember what I said. And third, this is the Word of God, and we will never, ever get to the bottom of the Word of God. We will never wear it out. There will always be new and wonderful things to behold in God's Word, no matter how familiar the passage. And so even though I've preached on this psalm before, I'm approaching it from a different angle this time. Last time I didn't focus on what it means to number our days, and this morning that is what we're focused on. And so let's ask the Lord to give us some help. Holy Father, one, one simple request this morning One simple prayer, teach us to number our days, please. We're asking, same as as the psalmist asked, we make the same request, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Amen. All right. Well, you may want to have Psalm 90 open in front of you. I'm not going to read it straight through, but we're going to look at a number of different verses throughout the sermon that I'll call your attention to. So you may want to grab a Bible, open it up to the middle, roughly the middle, and find the Psalms, and then find Psalm 90, and I will refer to various verses throughout the sermon. I, uh, what I think as I thought about this psalm and, and read it in different translations and tried to make sense of it, what I think is that it's the first word of this verse, verse 12, the first word that gives us a clue 
as to how we learn to number our days. Now, if you're, if, depending on the translation you're looking at, your first word might be different than my first word. The first word that I have is the word so in English. So, in, in the original Hebrew, that's the first word in this verse. Uh, in the original Hebrew, it, that's a one-letter word. It's a one-letter preposition. It's just the letter in Hebrew, it's the letter Lamed, that's the name of the letter. And the way that they use this preposition is they just tack it right on front of the word. It doesn't even get its own word, it just is a letter that gets thrown on the front of the next word. So that's this Lamed tacked onto the word to teach. And so the way that you would translate it is, so teach us to number our days. Uh, the preposition is important. So teach us to number our days. The so there refers to the verses that have gone before it, right? So it's like if someone called you up and said, uh, my car just got a flat tire, so I'm going to be late to the meeting, right? The preposition so there is the grammatical hinge. It refers back to what I just said, and it provides the reason why I'm going to be late. I have a flat tire, so I'm going to be late. So when Psalm 90 and verse 12 says, So, teach us to number our days, it's referring back to the previous 11 verses. The psalmist is saying, So, given what I just said, given the preceding 11 verses, it's important that we learn to number our days. All right, well, what has he just said in the previous 11 verses? The whole point of the first half of this psalm is a meditation upon the contrast between the infinite and the finite. That's what the first half of this psalm is about. And if we give it a careful look, it's going to teach us what it means to number our days. Okay, so if you have your Bible in front of you, look with me at verse 2. Psalm 90 and verse 2. It says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That has been the theme this morning. We've sung about that. The children came up and heard about that. Now we're thinking together about it. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God is eternal. That's what that's saying. That's a poetic way of saying God, God is eternal. God always was, God always is, God always will be. He's not bound by time. In fact, time was God's idea. God created time. Time is a created thing. The bookends of our lives on earth are birth and death. But the bookends of God's life are from everlasting to everlasting. Right? No beginning. It just goes forever. And no end. It goes forever that way as well. From everlasting to everlasting. For him, verse 4, for him a thousand years is like a day or a watch in the night. That's because he exists outside of time. For us, we experience reality within the limits of time. Right? One thing happens after another, after another. That's how things work. It's linear. Right? So a thousand years for us that's like a thousand years. But God is not limited by that kind of linear perspective. 
He sees everything all at once because he's outside of time. So past, present, future, those are terms that are meaningful to us because we live within the confines of time, but God sees it all at once. He's not bound by time. He's infinite. When I say that God is infinite, when I say, well, he's always existed from eternity past, we think, wow, that's a really long time. But the whole point is that that's not a really long time. It, that's not something that can be measured by time. Time is the wrong unit. It's forever. It's beyond time. It's bigger than time. Humans, as a species, we have a very hard time coming to grips with time, right? Um, when I was a new parent, I was, I, 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 Marco and I did this thing where we tracked down all the parents that we knew, that we respected, that we wanted to parent like, uh, and we, we saw the fruit of their parenting uh, because their kids uh, had grown up in, in ways that we would like to see our kids grow up, and so we, we kind of lassoed these parents and gathered them and asked them, okay, tell us what you did. We want to learn from you. And without fail, the first thing that everyone says when you ask them that is this, it goes so fast. Right? We heard that over and over and over again from parents. Cherish every moment. It goes so quickly. You'll be amazed. You'll wake up one day and Lois will be going off to university. Well, that day is nearly here. She's going away to university this summer and it did go fast. Even though I was warned... I was not ready for it. It's weird, right? It's weird. Even though time is one of the very few constant realities in our lives, right? It never changes. It just goes. Somehow we just can't seem to come to terms with it. We're constantly amazed by how fast it goes. That would be like if a fish was constantly amazed that it lived in water and breathed water and not air, right? Fish aren't amazed by that. That's just, that's just life for them. That's what they expect. But somehow we humans can't come to terms with the fact that we live within time. It constantly is blowing, away, blowing us away. I can't believe. Where did the time go? I can't believe how fast it went. Now C.S. Lewis thought about that, and, and what he said, and I agree with him, is that our inability to come to terms with time is a clue that we were not originally made to live within the confines of time. Perhaps our inability to come to terms with time means that our ultimate destination is going to be a place where time ceases to exist. And it's only in that context that we'll feel completely at home. Because that's what we were made for. All right. Well, so far we've established, this psalm has established that God is infinite and eternal and we are not. Which means that sooner or later we run out of time. We die. So now look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, you return man to dust. You say, return, O children of man. That's, of course, a reference to the book of Genesis. From dust we were formed, and to dust we return. Now, now look at verses 5 and 6. You sweep them away as with a flood. They, humans, humanity, they are like a dream. Like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Okay, that's God's description of us, right? We, the, we were looking at God and saying, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now God looks at us, and he gives us a description, and it's not very flattering. We tend to think we're pretty impressive, 
right? Not perfect, but still, we've, humans are, are pretty impressive, done some amazing things. We've sent people into space. We've explored all over the earth. We've invented computers, digital television, smartphones. We're curing diseases all the time. We're learning how to live longer, healthier lives. I mean, sure, we have some flaws, but all things considered, humanity is pretty impressive, right? We're, we're, we're headed somewhere. Life keeps getting better. We're going to solve these global problems. We're going to keep growing, getting more enlightened. We're going to keep evolving. That's what a lot of people think. That's how a lot of people view humanity, and in some ways, humanity is very impressive. But this psalm is kind of like a reality check from our Creator. Right? Verse 5. Actually, do you know what you're like, humans? You're like a dream. Okay? You, you mean like a good dream, where like you, 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 you don't want to wake up from that kind of like good dream. No, 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 no. Actually, it's the kind of dream when you wake up and you don't even remember if you've been dreaming or not. That's God's picture of humanity. And then he, and then he says that, yeah, you're like a dream that you just immediately forget. You're kind of like grass. Grass, great. When was the last time you were out for a walk and your attention was grabbed by a blade of grass? Right, honey, check out that blade of grass. It's beautiful. Right? You've never, I know you've never said that. Nobody's ever said that. That's God's picture of humanity in this song. We're like grass, fresh in the morning, withered by the time the evening rolls around. That, that, that's not very impressive. Here today, gone tomorrow. We're like those gnats, you know, that live for one day. By noon, they're middle-aged. <laughs> when night rolls around, they're dead. That's us, according to this psalm. All right. I know what you're thinking now. You're thinking that's not very encouraging. I know. I, I, I know it's not encouraging. Nobody likes to think about death. I've, I've noticed this. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes to think about death. People don't like to talk about death. That, that's the thing about death, right? No one likes it. No one wants to think about it. In fact, what, what, what we're very good at collectively as a species is not thinking about death. We're really good at that. We, de we developed the skill of not thinking about things that we don't like very early in life. Right? Here's when it happened for me. I bet it's similar for you if you're at all like me. It begins in elementary school, in grade school, at the best moment of the week. Right? Can you remember it? Call it to mind. Or if you're in school still, think about it. The best moment of the week is when the bell rings at the end of the day on Friday. Right? Because at that moment, you have maximum weekend ahead of you, right? From that moment, it gets less and less as the minutes tick by. But at that moment, when the bell rings, you have maximum weekend in front of you, right? And that just feels like forever, right? And so what you think about is all of the great things you're going to do that weekend. And the one thing you make a point of not thinking about is Monday morning, right? Because thinking about Monday morning just kind of throws a dark cloud over the whole weekend. So you get home, you put your school books somewhere out of the way where you're not going to see them, so you don't have to think about them, and you focus on the weekend. Now most of us have gotten pretty good at doing that, but then here's what happens. Sunday evening rolls around, right? And, and you know you haven't done your homework. And you get this feeling in your stomach, right? You're, you're like, ah, tomorrow's Monday morning. 
I gotta do my, I gotta get my books out, I gotta do my work, this is the worst, right? And when, when we get older, we apply the same skill of ignoring things that we don't like to the whole concept of death, right? We ignore it, we pretend that it's not there until it's right around the corner, and then we get this sinking feeling in our stomach that, we, oh, I can't avoid it anymore, it's Sunday night, I gotta deal with this. But this psalm is a corrective to that kind of thinking. This psalm basically says, no, 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 no. Don't ignore death. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Face it. You are finite. There's no value in denying that. You're not going to live forever. In fact, your life is amazingly short. It's an eye blink and it'll be over before you know it. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, and yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Except, look at verse 12. So, this is our verse. So, in the light of the fact that we are finite and life is short, so, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. So somehow recognizing and acknowledging that we are finite creatures and our days are numbered is actually the path to wisdom. So when the Bible tells us to number our days, it does not mean that we are supposed to somehow calculate how many days we have left. Rather, it is a call for us to embrace the idea that no matter how many days we have left, it's a finite number. And sooner or later, one day you're going to wake up and it'll be your last day on earth, whether you know it or not. To number our days is not only to acknowledge the fact that we're finite and that our time is limited, but it is to lean into that fact. In fact, embrace it because that is the path to wisdom. Celebrating your finitude is a path to wisdom. Right? I know, I, I know of, of one guy, he keeps a... He keeps a coin in his pocket, and the coin has a, has a skull on it, and uh, he, he, he always has it on him wherever he goes, and the, and the coin with the skull on it is just a reminder that he carries with him that one day I'm going to die. And rather than that being a source of discouragement or depression, that actually enables him to receive each day as a gift and make the most of it. I had a similar thing. I had an app called We Croak. I, I, I mentioned this app, do you remember? I, I, when we were preaching through Ecclesiastes, I mentioned this app that I've got on my phone called We Croak. And the thing about it is five times a day, every day, at random times, it sends you a text that says, don't forget, you're going to die. That's it. And uh, I mentioned that app in this sermon, and one of our young people one of, our, one of our young people who was in catechism at the time snuck his mom's phone <laughs> during the service while I'm preaching this and downloads that app for her, unbeknownst to her. And so the next day, she randomly gets a text, don't forget, you are going to die. <laughs> she was freaked out by it. Uh, I don't want to say, I, don't, I, don't wanna, I won't look up and say who it is. I love that story. Well done, well done, young man who did that. So uh, I, I, I deleted the app because I got sick of being told five times a day that I was going to die. But the point is that it is important for us to be reminded and to lean into it 
and to in fact celebrate the fact that you're going to die. I'm going to die. We're going to die. That knowledge, that finitude, right? The limitation on our days makes them precious. Enables us to receive them as the gift that they are. Enables us to live in such a way that when we do come to that last day, and we will, that we'll come to that last day with no regrets. No matter when it is. Whether it's today or 50 years from now. That we'll be able to receive that day as a gift. Receive every day as a gift. Every person knows in a kind of theoretical, undeniable way that sooner or later they'll die. I haven't given you any new information. But like I said earlier, we're very good at ignoring that fact and telling ourselves, well, death is a thing that happens to other people, but it doesn't really happen to me. And this verse is saying, verse is saying no, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. Don't ignore your mortality. Don't put your mortality on the shelf in the corner so that you don't have to look at it or think about it. Think about it every day. Why? Because that is the path to wisdom. You want a heart of wisdom? This is the way. When you recognize life is short, then you recognize how precious each day is, right? Limited resources are precious. If you have a million of something, it's not that big a deal. It's not that precious, right? You, you can spare a few. But if you know something is limited, it becomes precious, right? Without thinking too hard and without doing the math in your head, just I want you to answer this from your gut, not from your head. If you live an average lifespan, how many weeks on earth do you think you have? How many weeks? If you're anything like me, you will be shocked to discover that the actual number is about 4,000. I thought when I did that little experiment, I thought the number was going to be way higher than that. I gave myself way more weeks to play with than 4,000. Now, you might live a little longer than that, or you might live considerably shorter than that, but on average, you get 4,000 weeks. Once I learned that statistic, once, I, once, once, once it set in, how few weeks on earth we get, it had the effect of making each one more precious. With this mindset, we learn to cherish life and receive each day as a gift and live it to the fullest so that when we are dust, we have no regrets. That's what all those parents were getting at when I would ask them and they would tell me, cherish every moment because it goes so fast. Well, they're telling me They're saying there is, number your days. As a parent, number your days. That's a heart of wisdom. There's a little verse in Ephesians that has something to say about this. It says this, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, for the days are evil. Once again, the Bible making a connection between treating time as a gift and, and wisdom being wise. It's wise to make the most of each moment because days and weeks and years are a finite resource. Now, making the best use of the time does not mean packing it full of constant activity so that you can plow your way through a massive to-do list and be a high achiever. That's a secular version of what it means to number your days. But when the Bible tells us to number our days, when the Bible tells us to redeem the time, It is encouraging us to have a Godward focus each day. 
It is warning us not to waste our days on things that don't matter and won't last. It is encouraging us to embrace a way of life whereby we receive each moment of each day as a gift and we offer each day back to him as an expression of our faith and worship. And when we do that, when we learn to number our days in that sense, the result is that we're constantly reminded that this earth is not all that there is. That this earth is not what we live for. That this earth is not what we were made for. That this life is good and it's precious and it's a gift from God, but it's not ultimately our destination. God's got something better in mind. Now earlier in this sermon, I said that birth and death are the bookends of our lives. Even when I said it, you probably spotted the flaw there. From an earthly perspective, our life ends when we die. But you and I both know that death is not the end for us humans. And even though we are finite and we will die, we have hope that lies beyond death. Death was not supposed to be part of the original plan when God created the world, but the Bible tells us that through sin, death entered the world and is now part of our reality, but that God has done something about this. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about, right? That's why every sermon eventually weaves its way to the cross, right? That's what Charles Spurgeon in his book about preaching, what he said is that whatever verse you find, whatever passage of the Bible that you're in, you need to follow the path, whether it's a winding path or a straight highway, because eventually, if you follow that path, it will lead you to the cross. Any verse, any part of the Bible, eventually leads to the cross, right? What, Jesus Christ came and picked a fight with death in order to undo the curse, and he died in our place so that when we die, we don't die, but we enter into eternal life, and that's the good news of the gospel. And the way that we participate in that is not by just knowing it in our minds, but by believing it in our hearts, by recognizing the seriousness of sin, by repenting of our sins and by turning to Christ and saying, thank you for dying on the cross to pay my debt for my sins so that I don't have to pay it. Right? Remember the analogy I gave earlier when, when, I, when, when we're young and we don't want to think about Monday morning? What if suddenly something radically radical changed in your life so that Monday morning became something not to be feared or ignored or pretended that it doesn't exist, but if it was something to rejoice in? See, for those of us who have faith in Christ, death has been defeated and it's no longer to be feared. So now we don't pin all of our hopes on this world like so many people do. We don't look to find the satisfaction of our deepest desires and the things that this world has to offer. But we look for satisfaction in the steadfast love of God. And that is ultimately what numbering our days is all about. Recognizing how short and finite this life is enables us to receive the days as a gift, to make the most of the days, while at the same time stirring in our hearts in anticipation of eternal life with God in heaven. Right? One of the problems with Christianity today is that so many people think, well, it's just all about getting saved, right? Having faith in Jesus. And then, and then if you get saved and you have faith, then you can go to heaven when you die. But it doesn't really have much relevance on this life. That's totally wrong. That's totally wrong. 
Once our relationship with God the Father is restored through the cross of Christ and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that changes everything, not just when we die, but right now. For Christians, heaven begins now. Eternal life is now. I love the story about the Scotsman who was asked whether or not he expected to go to heaven when he died, and his response was, man, I live there. Now, I'm in heaven because of the gospel. Or the Puritan who, who once preached a sermon and said, those who don't go to heaven before they die won't go to heaven after they die. Right? It's learning the blessed practice of numbering our days that enables us to experience heaven on earth now. Clinging to our days, trying to pretend they'll never end, or trying to find satisfaction and meaning in the things of this earth is like trying to fill up a bucket that has no bottom. Right? You can add all the water you want. You can add an ocean of water, and it just runs through the bucket, and it never gets filled. But for the Christian, there is a solution to the problem. Number your days aright. Receive each one as a gift. Find your ultimate satisfaction in the steadfast love of God, and you will find joy in this life and eternal life after death. And that's wisdom. Let's pray. Holy Father, I do pray that you would help us to think rightly about time and life and death and days. It's hard to get perspective on eternity when we live when we live in this world and when we hear the clock ticking and we're very aware of our finiteness. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace and lean into our finiteness to recognize that our days are, in fact, numbered, but to see that that's not a bad thing, that it's a good thing, that it has the potential to change every day that we experience on earth now in this life, and that it can stir in us an anticipation of the next. And I pray for each of us that we would learn that you would teach us to number our days, that we might get a heart of wisdom. Amen.